Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. At the age of five, I came into a revelation of Jesus through a dream. And in that dream, Jesus, um, the sound of a trumpet happened. I was in a dream within a dream, the sound of a trumpet happened. And I ran out of the house with urgency in my heart to get outside. And I got outside after getting past the locked door only to find Jesus in the cloud with my family hovering. And in that moment, I was said to him, wait for me, wait for me, wait for me. And with that, he looked at me and said, I'm sorry, you're too late. And I was like, what do you mean I'm too late? As a five-year-old, frantically wondering, what does that even mean? What does that? But when I looked at Jesus, all I saw was love. And I knew that it was Jesus. And in that moment, I woke from this dream and I ran into my parents' bedroom and I told my mum what had happened. And my mum led me in a prayer of salvation to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Saviour. At the age of five, I then was the young kid who went around and just said, do you know Jesus? You need to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You need to know Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You need to know Jesus. And I was absolutely convinced that there was no other reason or purpose to life than telling others about Jesus. I've been set on fire since the age of five and I have not been able to shut up. At the age of five, I didn't know that Jesus came, lived, died and rose again. I just knew that Jesus was real. He loved me. He wanted me to be with him and I did not fear fear or judgment or anything of angst towards me. I felt love and I felt this desire for him to, for me to be with him and for him to be with me. And at that, there was a multitude of thousands behind me being told the same thing. And the Lord set me on fire to preach and share this good news of the gospel. And so today I stand before you as just an everyday believer like you who had an encounter with the Lord that catapulted me from a place of just belief to an expression. I've got a friend here, Lucas, who's sitting on the front row, radically saved. I'm going to actually, Lucas, can you jump up and just share your testimony briefly? <laughs> yeah, okay. So briefly... I'm just going to consume it into like, you know, what I'd tell someone on the street. So I was a drug addict for nine years. No one in my family is saved. No one in my family knows the Lord. Nothing like that. So I used drugs from 13 to 21. I stole cars. I broke into houses. I, you know, robbed shops. I deal drugs. I had a $1,000 a day gambling habit, $1,000 a day drug habit. On top of that, I had all your nice clothes, all your nice cars, everything you ever wanted, you know, and there was still an emptiness inside of me. And in result to that, I started going to jail, went to jail four times. And through all of that, you know, all the meeting of people, there was times where I'd get out of jail, I'd be back on drugs before I even left the car park in jail. So then in result to that, I'd keep going back. And then I went to jail the last time and I called up my mum and I'm like, okay, mum, I think there's an issue here. We probably need to, you know, sort this out. She's like, yeah, good idea. <laughs> so we've done that. I went to a rehab. I didn't know it was a Christian-based rehab. And when I went there, they're like, look, the only, you know, mandatory thing we have for you requirement is that you go to church every Sunday. And I was like, no, you're kidding yourself. What is the church going to do for me? Because I had no, you know, nothing. I knew nothing about God, nothing about Jesus. I didn't know you could even have a relationship. I didn't know you could hear from him. I didn't know nothing. I thought they just wanted your money. They were good for nothing. And that was it. And then they, I talked with my dad and he was like, Lucas, I really think you should go. If you don't like it, we'll find you a new place to go. And I'm like, all right. So my plan was I'll go in there. I'll get kicked out and I can keep on living my life. And little did I know that all the staff members were actually pastors and were spirit-filled and they 
Like no matter what I'd do, no matter what fights I'd try to start and whatever I in that space I'd try to do to get myself kicked out so I didn't have to leave voluntary, uh, they seen the call on my life and were like, Lucas, we're not going to let you go. We really feel that God's got a call in your life. And I was like, what the heck is a call on my life? Like, what are you on about? I, you, I just thought they're all crazy. And then in result to that, you know, there was, it's a six-month program with 15 boys in the house at one time. And the people that complete the program and do well in life are the ones that have accepted Jesus. The ones that hadn't would leave the program early and they would relapse. And in the program, there's a voluntary space where you can come in and you can learn about, you know, Jesus, the Holy Spirit and God. So there's no TV on a Monday night. So all the boys would just go to it because there's nothing else to do. So we'd go to it and we didn't know that it was planting seeds. And they ended up going, Lucas, we want to give you a Bible. And I'm like, look, I've never read a Bible in my life, let alone like a book in my life, let alone I'm going to read a Bible. And they're like, okay, well, just take it. And I'm like, I'll take it as a kind gesture. And I ended up reading the Bible every morning, every night. And in result to that, I ended up having an encounter with the Lord in my room where I just encountered the Lord in such a way where the presence of God filled my room. And I just really, I just started repenting. I didn't know I had to repent. And it just like flowed out of me what the Lord was doing. And in that, the boys in the rehab seen the change and I didn't know I was meant to lead people to the Lord. I didn't know I was meant to share the good news. I didn't know anything. Like I'd read the gospels, but I didn't have an understanding or comprehend what it even said because of all the drugs and everything that was going on. I didn't, wasn't able to, you know, comprehend that sort of stuff. I just read it for the sake of reading it. And out of the overflow of my heart for Jesus, out of the love of that, boys were getting saved. Boys were getting saved. We started doing Bible groups every morning, Bible groups every night. People that would come into the rehab off the street, they would get saved. Everyone was getting baptized in there. So we all got baptized. And then that's to sum it up. So good. (laughs) You know what I love about that is that from no understanding to an encounter led immediately to others being saved. Salvation was never just meant for us to consume. It was always meant for us to be experiential of the power, the glory, the love to then be an expression of that to other people. And I love that because he didn't have a clue. He didn't get told to go evangelize. He didn't get told or, or taught how to do it. It was out of the overflow of his heart. But sometimes we just we, we get so uh, uh, familiar with the presence of God that we just come in and, and ta- you know, share about this life in the, in the stream. You know, we, we consume, we consume, we consume. We, our glory container gets filled up and then we forget to pour out. And so to experience the more of him is to pour out. And, uh, and Lucas is an absolute blessing. He's a part of our Numa School of Spirit. He's a year in. He's on the street sharing every week with people and telling them about Jesus, laying hands on the sick, seeing deliverance happening, seeing incredible things happen, not because he got told to or got told or shown how to. He just fell in love with Jesus. Ooh. Anyway, amazing. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. All right. Open your Bibles. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 728. We're going to jump through chapter 8 and 9, and then we're going to land in number 10. And then we are going to land in chapter 17 of Matthew. We're hitting up Matthew today. I believe that God has a word for you as a church. I believe that Lord wants to unlock something in a greater measure. And, uh, and if you'll open your hearts to receive today, I believe that he will deposit something significant that will catapult and shift you from where you are to where he has called you to be, hmm, so that others can receive. 
So Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you it's sharper than a two-edged sword. I thank you, Lord, it cuts between the spirit and between the flesh. And tonight, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, would you come and do a master work on our hearts as a surgeon? Would you touch our hearts? Would you change our lives and help us to be transformed into the image of Jesus? In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, amen. 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 Well, I'm going to take you back to Christmas last year. Christmas last year, God's doing incredible things in our world. We're getting ready for 2023, all things Numa School of the Spirit happening. There's so much exciting stuff happening. And I went home for Christmas to spend some time with my family. I got five nephews and two nieces, and they are the joy of my life. I'm not married. I don't have kids. And so therefore, my kids are my nephews and nieces. I have loved them like they were my own. I have cherished them like they were my own. I have smacked them over the head like they're my my own and I love them and uh, my 15 year old nephew um, had, had started to um, branch out into this whole thing of online computer gaming so he was always into the gaming I never got it I was like dirt bikes let's go have fun he's like no gaming I'm like no okay anyway another story um, and so we're having this conversation at um, at Christmas and uh, so a year beforehand he had talked to me about his YouTube channel and he'd set up this YouTube channel and uh, he, he made me watch two hours of his YouTube channel. And like any good auntie, I sat there absolutely enthralled by what I was seeing, secretly bored out of my brain, but showing interest because I loved him. And so he's telling me about this YouTube channel and he flicks it over and he starts showing me and I'm like, wow, how many, how many people watch you? And he's like, I've got 71 subscribers. I'm like, awesome it's got to be filled with something great he starts shocking me and i'm like <laughs> okay now for every kid here who's a gamer please forgive me this is not to hate on gaming but i was bored out of my mind he played this game called minecraft <laughs> and i'm like you've got to be kidding me like you've got all this digital stuff that you can do and you want to play a game that's like boxes like it i'm like i played Mario Brothers, it looked like that. I mean, you couldn't technology these days. I'm like, catch up, bro. But he's excited about this. And he says to me, he goes, look, this is what I do. He gets on there, he plays the game. He just talks over what he's doing. I'm like two hours bored out of my brain, watching him hammer bricks, place a brick, hammer a brick, place a brick. And then the wolves come out and I'm like, what is this? What is this trash? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh, bro. And he's like, so will you follow me on here? I'm like, yeah, sure I will, bro. I pull out my phone, I subscribe to his channel and I'm like following him. Anyway, it comes to Christmas and I'm sitting down with him and he's like, hey, Ani Ree, have you seen uh, uh, my, my, my subscription, my list and, and my, my YouTube channel? I got it wrong. My YouTube channel, not subscription, my YouTube channel. I'm like, yeah, yeah, bro, you showed me. Like, remember last year I sat down and, and I detailedly went into what he showed me because I was like, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, yeah. He goes, but do you follow me? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I follow you. He's like, yeah. And I go, oh, I'm like, and he says to me, he goes, so, he goes, so what was my last video? <laughs> Auntie fail of the year. And I'm like, well, um, um, could, could you maybe just remind me <laughs> a little bit about what that was? He's like, he goes, well, you don't follow me, do you? And I was like, oh. Well, I do, I subscribed. Do you know it's like most of us Christians? 
We've subscribed to the ways of Jesus, but we aren't following him. And, and as I'm sitting there, I'm having this profound moment being rebuked by my nephew. <laughs> and the Lord is speaking to me. And he's like, Sheree, this is like my church. They've subscribed to my ways, but they don't follow me. I was like, Lord, what, what, what do you mean? He said, they've become a part of the crowd following Jesus. I was like, wow, Lord, like, am I, am I, am I following you? <laughs> like, and I felt this like strong sense of what the Lord was saying. And he asked me this question. He said, Sheree, are you a part of the crowd following Jesus or are you a part of the called walking with Jesus? Because there's a difference. When we're part of the crowd following Jesus, we've subscribed to his teachings, but it's proximity. It's like, I've got my distance. But when we are the called following him, it looks different. You want to see what it looks like? Let's go to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is a beautiful chapter because it finishes off Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus has taught the word of God with such authority that in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it says this. When Jesus had finished these sayings of Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, he literally said the crowds were astonished at his teachings for the teaching was with one who had authority, not as their scribes. They recognized that he had authority and that he spoke with authority. And then it says this in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed Jesus. Ooh. And then all of a sudden, he walks into this moment of Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 9, where literally we go from having authority displayed through preaching to authority displayed through action we've moved through these miracles we moved through the first miracle of the centurion who brings his his servant before jesus and there's an encounter with the lord then we move into jesus healing many then there's he talks about the cost of following him and then he taught he calms a storm and and so you see literally one after another after another after another we go from authority being preached to authority being displayed and what I see in this is if we turn over to Matthew chapter 10, after these things have happened, Jesus has healed a paralytic. He's set two demons out free of somebody. He's restored a woman, brought her back to life. He's healed two blind men. And then he calls out the, um, one of the other disciples, Matthew. And then Jesus leaves a man who's unable to speak and is completely healed. And then he walks into this moment in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1. And it says this, he called to himself 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Oh, hear this. The crowd came down from the mountain to follow Jesus because of his wonderful teachings. The cold came to Jesus and had intimacy with him and were sent out to cast out spirits, to cleanse the lepers, to heal the sick and raise the dead. Oh, there is a distinct difference between the cold and the crowd. See, the crowd have proximity to Jesus. They're around Jesus. They like his teachings. They like his ways, but they don't have intimacy with him. And so they follow at a distance. And proximity doesn't lead to intimacy. But proximity often leads to a familiarity. 
oh yes, he's he's a great teacher, but isn't he the son of like Mary and and the carpenter's boy? Like, isn't he the son of the carpenter? And, and literally, there's a familiarity that comes with people who are a part of the crowd. But it's never Jesus' intent that there would be a crowd following him. Do you remember Jesus would always escape the crowd to spend time with the called and then to take time to spend time with the Lord? He desires people to be in a place of intimacy. See, the called are called to have intimacy. And intimacy leads to identity. And identity leads to kingdom authority being displayed. See, this is a difference between a Sunday Christian and a daily devotion with the Lord. This is a difference between a Sunday Christian, check in, check out of church, I've done my duty and I'm following Jesus, versus the called who are so intimate with the Lord they can't go a day without being with him. There's a distinct difference. And see, the crowd recognise and observe authority, but the called have and display kingdom authority. Oh, there's a distinction between the crowd and the called. And our question today is, are we following him as a part of the crowd or are we following him as a part of the called in intimacy with him and walking with him? The challenge, because what I see between Acts, uh, sorry, Matthew chapter 7 and chapter 9, sorry, Matthew 8 and chapter 9, is that the crowd seek the wonders that Jesus did versus the called who actually do the wonders that Jesus did. Mm. Have you ever wondered why sometimes we hear about the fact that miracles are normal and we, we know that, that the blind will walk, the lame, the blind will walk, the lame will walk, the blind will see. <laughs> and we see those things and hear those things and, and know this, but we actually don't see it in our own lives. Can I suggest that it's actually because we miss the place of intimacy with the Father where he reveals his heartbeat and says, hey, first preach the gospel and then these signs will follow. You know, I see people, they get caught up and they're just like, they're just chasing down every demon. They're chasing down deliverance for every person. They're chasing down like all these different things. But I'm like, actually, have you spent any time in the Lord? And, 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 and have you taken his first priority to be yours, to preach the gospel? Because Matthew chapter 16, verses 15 through to 20 says that when we, these signs will follow the preaching of the good news, which means if you preach the good news, these things are inevitable. Half the reason why we don't see these things in our, most of our lives personally is because we don't preach the gospel. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody? When was the last time you had a conversation with somebody where you brought the centre of the conversation around Jesus? Oh, we're not called to be a part of the crowd who watch the wonders that Jesus does from afar. We're called to be a part of the called who do the wonders that Jesus does. See, the crowd marveled at what Jesus did. It says that after Jesus encountered the centurion and the centurion's servant, that literally in that moment, they marveled at what Jesus did. But you know what caused Jesus to marvel? The centurion's faith. See, the crowd marvel at what Jesus does, but the cold actually caused Jesus to marvel. Look at it. In verse 10 of chapter 8, it says this. 
When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. The crowd marveled, but the call caused Jesus to marvel. See, the crowd followed for the benefits, but the call count the cost. It moves on into the next part of this passage between eight verses 18 and 22. It literally says, here's what's required. You are to count the costs, but the crowd follow for the benefits. Jesus is going to feed the 5,000. I'm here for food. Or do you come like the kid who said, here's my lunch. Could you do something with this? Oh, man. When I'm reading this, I'm like, oh, my gosh, that moment when I'm sitting with my nephew and he says, well, then you don't really follow me. Some of these statements are going to hit us to the heart tonight, but it's not for judgment or condemnation. It is to build us to a place where an expectation and a hunger to lean in for more intimacy because this is where he's called us to live. He's called us to cause Jesus to marvel. He's called us to count the cost. He's called us to do the wonders that Jesus did. See, this is it. The crowd want to be with the popular, whereas Jesus, when he finds Matthew, literally is hanging out with a tax collector. And, and, and the crowd want to be with the popular, but the called want to be with the unpopular. Ooh, Jesus. When, 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 when Jesus sat but with the friends of Matthew, they were sinners. They were tax collectors. They weren't cool. They weren't popular. They weren't, be the, they weren't the in-group to hang out with, and the Pharisees wanted nothing to do with them. Hmm. Religious people want nothing to do hmm, with the actual gospel getting to people who desperately need it. They're just happy to sit back and consume but not actually do anything with it. Oh, Jesus, help us. See, the crowd want Jesus to perform for them, but the call want his presence and one touch so that that glory can come out of them into somebody else. The woman with the issue of blood, she was not content just to have Jesus perform for her, but she wanted his presence and she sat there and was like, if I could just have one touch of his garment, everything changes. The crowd listened to the gospel, but the call preached the gospel. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 says that they went into all the cities and all the villages and preached the good news of the gospel. See, the crowd believe, but the called are bold. The called are bold. They're not content to live with a mediocre Christian life of just subscribing to Jesus' ways. They want intimacy with him. They want the place of the pursuit of his feet so that he could pour out into them and fill them that they might go out and pour into others. You can't help but know Jesus and then want that for somebody else. And, and Charles Spurgeon says this, if you have no desire for anyone else to be saved, he questions and says, are you yourself even saved? Because how can you love him but not love what he loves? His desire is, is that we would be so intimate with him that when we get around him, we want to be like him. And, and 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says that when we're with him, that, that we be transformed into his image from glory to glory to be like him. Oh, it's his desire that 
we would lean into such things. John chapter 12, verse uh, 14, sorry, verses 12 says that he calls us to do even greater things than these. He said we would do even greater. When was the last time you healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out demons, cleansed the lepers? Because I'm still working on it. I'm still working on that. I'm like, Lord, I believe that you can raise the dead. You know what the scary thing is? You have to be around dead people for that to happen. That's confronting. And I can't do that in my own flesh. I can't, if I try that, it's like the guys in Acts that went around in Jesus' name, dirt, 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 and it was like, who, Jesus, we know, Paul, you know, but who the heck are you? I can't do anything without being in intimacy with him and, and having that nature of relationship with him where he pours into me to be poured out to others. And this is the desire of God's people, that they would be in love with what he loves. See, this is the thing. The crowd actually loved Jesus. Hear my heart. The crowd loved Jesus. Most of the Christian people I know who have subscribed to his ways love him. Immensely, they love him. They love what he's done for them. They love their salvation. They love that their family is saved. They love that they've got their ticket to heaven. They love him. They come to church and they worship him. They lift up their hands. They engage with him. But you know what the difference is? The crowd love him, but the called are in love with him. You know, if you ever met someone who's in love for the first time, people who are in love do crazy things. Like crazy things. Dropping off flowers in the middle of the night. Getting things delivered. Like They, they do crazy things to show somebody that they love them. But too often, we love him, but we're not in love with him. I was so confronted when my nephew said to me, well, you don't really follow me. And the question then was, do you even love me? <sighs> of course I love you. Well, then why don't you follow me? Because <gasps> let's be honest, sometimes it's easier to know what's going on in the Bible and what it commands of us and be like, yeah, yeah, I know what's happening. I know what's happening. It's easier to do all of that than it is to actually like take the time, watch it, spend time engaging in it, understanding it. Oh, man. Whew. The Lord's desire is that we would be in love with him and that we would love what he loves. Oh, Jesus. You know what's crazy? Is that when my nephew had finished the conversation with him and I walked away and I was very disappointed with myself, I actually had to go back and have a conversation with him. I had to come back and say to him, I'm so sorry. Please forgive Aunty Ree. Because she did subscribe, but she hasn't followed. And I'm so sorry because I said that I would follow you and I subscribed, but I didn't follow. Now, I'm really honest. I said to him, I'm like, bro, I, I love you, but I actually don't know if I've got time for that. And he just looked at me 
And it's like, oh, I know you're busy, Aunty Ray. I know you're busy. I said, I'm really sorry. And he said, that's okay. I still love you. Oh, mate, reckon auntie. <laughs> I had to make a decision in that moment. Buddy, I'm sorry. I don't have time. But maybe Aunty Ray needs to make time. Because if I'm really following you, I'd make time. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants his church back. He doesn't want a Sunday service as great as it is, as great as the worship is. He wants his church back. You know what the church is? It's you. It's you and me. He wants us back. He wants us back in the place of intimacy with him. He doesn't want just check in and check out church. He wants intimacy. Because there's a world out there that needs to know him. And you can't share what you don't know. And his desire is that you would know him and you would know his heartbeat for the lost. And that we'd walk in that space. So some of us today, we need to repent. Respond and repent. Some of us, we need to receive the kingdom authority that he gave to us and actually walk in it. For some of us, we need to be redeployed because we got deployed once, but we kind of got comfortable. But he actually wants us to be redeployed. You know, I love this few chapters. I encourage you this week, take a read of it. Matthew chapter 7, then you go back 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. And you just watch what the Lord deposits in you because I tell you, it'll deal with everything that you are concerned about from fear of rejection to persecution to the whole day. It, it's all in there. And it's actually exceptional. What I love is that Jesus actually speaks to the hesitant follower. In Matthew chapter 8. And he says to him, follow me. Let the dead bury their own dead. See, the man made up an excuse. He was like, well, I've got to wait for my father and bury my father. Now, his fa if our father hadn't died, in our mind we read it and we go, oh, his father must be dead. <laughs> he's going to go bury him and then he's going to follow. No, no, no. He was like, one day when that part of my life is done and my father has died and I've buried him, then I will come follow. But the Lord's comment to him was, let the dead bury their own dead. See, Jesus wants nothing more than us to follow him because nothing else matters. Hmm. Matthew, sorry, John, chapter 12, verse 42, and verse 43. Have a look at this on the screen. It says, nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him. It's one thing to believe in him. It's another thing to live for him. And for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not have to be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that came from man more than the glory that comes from God. Hmm. Sometimes we get so preoccupied by about what others might think, what others might say, and we care more about their opinion than we do the glory of God breaking out of our lives. It's God's intent that all men would be saved 
And it's actually crazy to think that he uses you and I. Because I don't know about you, but I found myself as a follower, a subscriber to the ways of the Lord. And I've been confronted. I've been challenged. I've been provoked to go deeper into the things of the Lord and from that place of intimacy to lead others to the Lord, to lead others to a revelation and encounter of who he is. And I'm the evangelist. So if I'm challenged, are you? Oh, mate. See, the church has compromised, or sorry, let's go, sorry, no, let's take this. The church has overcompensated on invitational-based evangelism. Let me, let me unpack that. Invitational-based invitational based evangelism says this. It says, come to church, they'll save you, and they'll disciple you. We make it about an event, we make it about a service, and, and we've, we've negated our responsibility as a believer to actually be able to invite someone into a personal relationship with the Lord. And we've overcompensated on invitation. Now, yes, there is a place for invitational-based evangelism. It's in the Bible. So it's real, it's legitimate, and it's okay. But the church is overcompensated on it. And the question has come, well, how many souls are being saved in your church? That should not be the question. The question about the church should be how many people are being water baptized? Because the soul should be one between you and me out on the street, then brought into the church to the family of God and then discipled and baptized in water as a public confession of their faith. So you know what it tells me when a church is on fire, when it's ready to go, is that when their water baptism numbers are like skyrocketing and the salvations are just plotting along. Now, one or twos might get saved in a service and I'm grateful for that. Actually bring on the day for hundreds. I'm believing for it. But they need to encounter Jesus out there well and truly before they encounter Jesus in here. And Jesus is not calling us to go to, hmm, he's not calling us in this season as a church to go to the net style of fishing. Peter mastered in net style of fishing. Do you agree? Peter and the disciples, the fishermen, they did the nets. Jesus did the magic, not magic, but like the supernatural moments. Magic's a bad word in church. Um, <laughs> You know, but they, he did the supernatural thing. Throw your net over this side. And, and they're like, oh, just, okay, okay. And they throw the nets over and they bring in a catch that they couldn't even catch, right? You remember those days? It's kind of like what happens within the church context. But you know where the unusual miracles are going to take place? You know where the outpouring of the Spirit's going to take place? You know where the wonderful and crazy things are going to take place of the things of God? They're going to take place when you and I go fishing. Come with me. To Matthew, this is where we're landing it, Matthew chapter 17. The story of uh, good old Peter hanging out with Jesus. Now, let's just be clear. Peter, he's a wild man. He is the man who puts his foot in it. He is the man who is just bold and audacious and ready to say, Jesus, if that's you on the water, call me out. I'm coming. Other 12, uh, 11, aren't asking that question. Peter did. And Jesus says, yeah, come on, come out. Peter walks on water. Peter, in chapter 17, at the start of this chapter, is called up with Jesus along with James and John to a mountain transfiguration moment. Jesus has gone away to seek the face of the Lord. Peter's gone with him with James and John. They're there praying. It's the middle of the night. The glory of God turns up, places on fire. It says that Jesus' clothes were as bright as lightning or as white as snow. It says that there was a holy moment. And Peter, 
the natural man stands in and is like, Jesus, this is amazing. And out of out of nowhere, it's like he has this moment and it's like Moses turns up and Elijah turns up. And Peter's so excited. He's like, Jesus, let's build tents so we can house the glory. And in that moment, Jesus, Lord says from heaven, shut up, Peter. And in that moment, he says, listen to my son. And in that moment, Moses disappears and Elijah disappears. And Peter is left there staring at Jesus because the only thing that matters is Jesus because he is the law. He is the power. He is the authority. He is those things that those guys were in the new covenant that is him. And he comes down from the mountain and he brings deliverance to a young man. We talked about this in the last message. But what happens, I love this. It's so cool. He comes down. He has this encounter. The boy gets healed. Jesus has the faith thing with the boys and says, you, you nine, what are you doing? Da, 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 da. And then all of a sudden, they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, do you pay tax? This is the only passage of scripture that Jesus actually does a miracle with money. Just, just putting it out there. He says to Jesus, and his disciples, you pay tax. And Jesus, knowing he doesn't have to pay it, pays it in the same way that Jesus didn't have to die, but he paid a price for you and I. And so he says to Peter, Peter, you're a fisherman. I want you to go down to the lake. And when you go down to the lake, I want you to throw a hook and a line in to the water. Pause. You're telling a fisherman who knows how to fish with a net, how to catch fish. Peter is a man who knows what needs to be done to catch fish. He's not a man of the, the hook and the line. He's a man of the net. I know how to get a catch. I know how to do that. And Jesus says to him, I want you to take a hook and a line. I want you to go to the sea. And when you put that hook and the line in, you're going to catch a fish. When you bring the fish in, you're going to open up the fish's mouth and there's going to be a tax in there. There's going to be money in there. And so Peter, I love this. Peter does not question Jesus. But Jesus, if I just go down with my nets, I'm, I'm likely to catch more of a fish, make a bit more money. It's going to be better. It's going to be greater. It's going to be bigger. It's going to be. No, no, no. He simply takes the word that Jesus says. He goes down to the water. He throws a hook and a line in, in front of all of his friends who would have looked at him and thought, you're crazy. You're a fisherman and you know how to catch fish, but you're out here with a hook and a line. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Cherie, I'm returning to the church where they have gone from being a net style of catching fish where it's come and go fishing in this big thing with the church and invitational-based evangelism to the individual where they, if they are obedient and they humble themselves and they obey me and go out and take a hook and a line and go fishing, they're going to catch something. And great will be their reward. Oh. So you've got to understand this. Because the Lord is calling us for everyday believers to be able to share Jesus confidently because that's our responsibility. That's what we're called to, to share Jesus confidently. Huh. <laughs> Do you know how crazy this is? Okay, just imagine yourself as one of the other disciples. 
one of the, maybe even one of the three, Peter, James and John, or maybe one of the nine that were left out at the bottom of the mountain just waiting for Jesus to come back, which is what most of the church is doing right now. Sitting on their rusty, dusty, holy moments, just waiting for the Lord to come back. They're not on mission. They're just sitting there waiting for Jesus to come back. Jesus comes down the mountain and says, what is wrong with you? What You faithless generation, like I've given you mission. You were meant to be on mission. You're sitting here waiting for me to come back. The reason you can't heal him is because you've got no devotion. You've got no prayer. You've got no fasting. Ooh. Oh. So picture yourself, you're one of the nine. And this is what happens in this passage. Because in the very next chapter, in chapter 18, it starts with this. Who's the greatest? Because favour is not fair. So Peter, he's walked on water. He's had a holy transfiguration moment, seen the glory of God. And then Jesus, literally, as the disciples are all asked, if Jesus is paying tax, there's another 11 disciples, but Jesus only pays the tax with the fish and the money in his mouth for him and for Peter. <laughs> I love this. Because you know what it says to me? It says that Jesus loves us all equally. He took the disciples all on the same journey. He even loved Judas who walked away from him. But Peter, a man of faith, a man of hum humility, a man of obedience, a man of incredible pursuit of Jesus, and even screwing it up sometimes, he takes him and rewards him. Favour ain't fair. But did you know that you are highly favoured? That you are highly favoured by God. Oh, what sort of disciple do you want to be? Do you want to be part of the crowd that's just following Jesus, proximity to him? We want to be part of the call who have intimacy with him and who literally take the glory of God to the people who desperately need it. Oh, Jesus, this, this house is a house for the unsaved. And this is a house that will go and seek the unsaved. This house will be filled with people who are unsaved. And I tell you this, unusual miracles are on the other side of your obedience. You want to see the unusual miracles? I mean, seriously, imagine you're there with Jesus and you watch Peter and Peter and Jesus has said, you watch him, he's going to throw a hook and a line in, he's going to pull a fish in and in that fish there's going to be money in its mouth. Number one, to catch a fish. If you've ever been fishing, it's a patience game. But literally, he throws a hook and a line in, catches a fish. Not only is it a miracle that he catches a fish with a line because, you know, he's a fisherman, knows how to catch it with a net, He's like, this is awesome. Opens up its mouth and it's got money in it. It's just a sign of the goodness of God and what he wants to do. He wants to unlock unusual miracles. And unusual miracles are on the other side of your humility, your obedience, and your faith. Mm. Come on, why don't you stand up? Jesus. Whew. Whew. Hmm. I told you in that moment with my nephew I had to make a decision about my heart and my posture towards him and to apologize to him. And for some of us today, we actually need just to come before him and say, Lord, I'm sorry if I've been a follower of you or a subscriber of your ways and your teachings, but not someone walking with you the way I should. And, you know, I'll be really honest with you. We're all guilty of it. I myself have been guilty of it. And I know that the Lord is calling us to a place of deeper intimacy with him, not just so we can have tickle me Elmo moments, not just so we can be filled with glory and have goosebumps from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet and maybe even take a short nap on the ground. 
He, he's actually wanting to pour his glory out so that the glory could reach others. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today, we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died, and rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life, and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.